from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hey, everybody. I had a really funny thing <laughs> recently that I want to share, a funny experience. I did a YouTube video with a dear friend of ours, you know, Wendy, Jay Wanacott. Yeah. Uh, we've known him for 20, what, 28 years. Uh-huh. Uh, he and I studied together in graduate school, and we got to know Jay and his wife, Michelle. They're so dear to us. They are godparents to one of ours, and we're godparents to one of theirs. Anyway, Jay was in town a few weeks ago, and we did a video together on the YouTube channel. I'd really encourage you to watch it. We'll have a link to it. Yeah. But the funny thing I wanted to share, <laughs> his daughter pointed out to him that there's this feature on YouTube where you can play a video at one-fourth speed, and he sent me some clips at one-fourth speed of this conversation we had, and it made me laugh so hard. I have it right on my phone here. I'm going to play it. <laughs> Listen to this. Oh, here we go. Did you ever want to eat someone? I just want to eat you. We were talking about we were talking about that funny that, that all right. Stop it now. I'm trying to push the there. Okay, we were talking about the Eucharist, I think, and and how this expression we just want to eat somebody up. I just want I want to gobble you up, but to hear it back at. One fourth the speed. It just made me laugh. Like I didn't have, you know, when you get one of those really good belly laughs, and it's so therapeutic and yes. cathartic. Thank you, Jay, for making me laugh. By yes, and that. Emma Rose was and it? Emma, Emma Rose. Ro- it was Emma Rose's yeah. daughter. Yeah, yes. Thanks, Emma Rose. Thank you, Emma Rose. That was so funny. <laughs> so tell us what's going on with the Tubi Institute. We have a slate of Made for More events. We're taking on the road this fall. I thought you might want to know about it. So if we're coming to your state or near your state, you might want to check out our schedule. We are coming to Texas in September, Kansas, Michigan, and Florida in October, and California and North Dakota in November. Yeah. So check out our full schedule on the link below. And hey, maybe you want to bring us to your city. Maybe you want to bring us to your parish. Check out um, the, well, I don't know if it's a link. We'll have the email in the show notes for our director of events. It's I can just tell you it's events at tobinstitute.org. If you want to bring us to your area, either bring me and the Made for More team, which is If you don't know this, it's a live event. It's not just a lecture. We have live music. We have big screens and special lighting. We show YouTube videos and little clips, sacred and secular art. It's a. It's much more like a night at the theater than a. It's not a lecture. If you have an. If you have a vision that a TOB Institute event is somebody standing behind a podium giving a lecture, it's the wrong image. Much more like a night at the theater, the made for more event. If you want to do a Saturday seminar, we offer them. 
Uh, if you want to do an extended retreat, we offer them. Check out, again, uh, you can email with any request for an event at events at tobinstitute.org. Mm, that's great. Yep. I have a question for you from a patron. Are you ready? Yes, I am ready. Let's do it. Okay, this is from Brandon. Hello, Brandon. Thank you so much for supporting us, Brandon. Really, really appreciate it. Hello, Christopher and Wendy. I've recently become a new listener to your show over the last year. Oh, great. And I'm so grateful for the thoughtfulness and insight you've brought me during this time. So thank you for the work you're doing. A quick background. My wife and I are both 30. We have been happily married for seven years, have two beautiful kids under four and a half, and are heavily involved in our Catholic faith. We both work outside the home with great jobs have so much to be thankful for, and have been so blessed in our lives so far. Recently, I've been struggling with the overwhelming sense of leadership I'm called to mm. as a husband, father, yep. son, faith leader, financial leader, etc. Yep, I know that feeling. And I'm searching for peace and clarity in this mission. It's very challenging to work on my prayer life, be a good parent, lead my wife and kids, manage the finances, perform at work, Make sure the flowers are watered. <laughs> Love my wife. Be a good Catholic. Evangelize. Cook dinner. Stay in shape, etc. And you have to go to the bathroom sometimes, too. <laughs> All while trying to lead my family daily. I have no doubt these struggles are a part of every good Catholic husband out there trying to fight the good fight and lead their families to heaven. So I know I'm not alone in this undertaking. True that. I should also clarify that I am doing a good job in a lot of these areas and have tons of support from my wife and close friends, but it can be very overwhelming at times to keep everything in order, specifically in the role of father and husband. Do you have any advice for how to manage being the leader of a family in today's busy world? <sighs> I feel inadequate in answering this question because of my own inadequacies in trying to do this myself. But St. Paul says, when you are weak, then you are strong. So, I will lead with my weakness. I will boast in my weakness. As St. Paul says, it is hard, Brandon. You, you've, you've listed it all. You, you're well aware of the daily struggle. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the advice of my spiritual director to me that I has really helped me to set things in more order. And that's just the way I'll, I'll say it, more order. There's still more order needed. But if we get our priorities in order, things tend to follow. And your number one priority is not your job. It's not watering the flowers. It's not even being a good husband and father. Your number one priority is your relationship with Jesus. That is number one. If you love husband, wife, children, parents more than me, you are not worthy of me. Who says that? Who, who other than a megalomaniac, could possibly say that? Uh, only God himself. Only God himself, right? Worship. What we're talking about here is true worship. I've heard Bishop Barron say this, that all you need to know about a person or a culture is what do you worship, right? If you want to get down to brass tacks, if you want to understand where disorder is and how to set things in proper order, you just have to ask one question, what do you worship? And look at the word worship. It comes in English, the word comes from worth-ship. 
to what do we assign the greatest worth, right? Nothing should be assigned more worth than that which has the greatest worth, objectively speaking. And objectively speaking, that which has the greatest worth is the Lord of the universe. And thanks be to God, the God we worship is love. So, your first priority is to learn how to enter into that relationship with your Maker ever more intimately, and that means a life of prayer. St. John of the Cross said something like, um, if, if, you're, if you're too busy for prayer, well, then you should pray more, or something like that. I mean, I'm, that's a terrible paraphrase, of, of, but his point is basically, you need to carve out time for prayer. If you want the rest to fall in order, you must carve out time for prayer. And we do need to learn how to pray always. Scripture talks about that, praying always, meaning having a heart that's open throughout your day to the movements of the Holy Spirit in conversations, in your daily duties, in watering the plants, in taking uh, the trash out, in driving to work, and doing what you do, have a heart that is open to the movements of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's one way of praying always. But in order to pray always, the Catechism says we also have to learn to pray at specific times. So, brother, priorities first, your relationship with the Lord, daily prayer. Priority number two, loving your wife. Priority number three, loving your children. That, that is a, 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 a river of graces flowing when we have the priority straight, when you are praying on a daily basis, when you are opening your heart with all of your struggles to the Lord and letting Him come in there and making that the priority of your day, guess what's going to flow from that? You're going to love your wife better. You're going to love your children more joyfully. doesn't mean there aren't going to be struggles. doesn't mean there aren't going to be trials. But there's going to be an underlying trust that the burden to get it all right, the burden to connect all the pieces and and the burden to dot the i's and cross the t's and do this and do that and water the plants and tend to the dishes and uh, all you know all the daily life involves when we are in a posture of receptivity in prayer learning to love and embrace our creaturely status because our maker our creator is a loving father who provides for our needs then the burden in some sense comes off our shoulders and it's no longer a self-reliant attempt to do everything right. I mean, that's unbearable. That is not sustainable. When I was your age, Brandon, 30 years old, which was like 24 years ago, I was in, by and large, I was in a posture in life of self-reliance. Not exclusively, but I would say it was like 80-20. Like, 80-20, I was in, 80% of the time I was in self-reliant mode, 20% of the time I was in, in relying on the Lord mode. And I would say in the last 24 years of really taking prayer seriously and having hard knocks from what life dishes out, and you're facing those hard knocks, I th- Wendy, you, maybe you'd evaluate it differently. I don't know. I'd like to say, maybe this is too generous, but I'd like to say those numbers have flipped. Like, I'm more 80 in the relying on the Lord, trusting in the Lord, disposition, and 20% falling into habits of self-reliance. That's probably a little generous. Maybe it's more like 60-40. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But it has flipped. It has flipped the majority, I would say, the general disposition. The balance has shifted. The balance has shifted in, in, in a place of learning to trust, 
learning to like we're going through some hard stuff just family dynamics yes changes in our ages of our kids different challenges they're facing challenges we're facing as we grow older challenges at work challenges at our local parish challenges in just living and when i was your age brandon these things would have sent me into some real tailspins of of fear and uh uh how's this ever going to come across or how's this ever going to get worked out has how how do i come across in trying to work it out all that stuff and my general disposition more often than not by god's grace and by 24 years of taking seriously prayer as my priority in my life it has shifted me to a place of general trust lord you are in charge you're going to take care of us there are real things i got to look at it's not a magic trick to trust in the Lord, and it's not like things fall out of the sky, but you're going to provide, and I'm going to trust that you are a loving God. If you get that as your number one priority, brother, the details will fall into place. So here's the, again, in sum, here's the advice of my spiritual director. It has never steered me wrong. I don't live it perfectly, but it sure has made a difference. Your number one priority is your relationship with the Lord. Your number two priority is your relationship with your wife. Your number three priority is your relationship with your kids. Everything else will flow from there. And of course, you know, the, the day-to-day work you're doing is loving your wife and loving your kids. So how do you balance all that out? That's another question for another day. But mm. I hope the advice I have given you will prove as fruitful in your life over the next 24 and beyond years as it has in the last 20 plus years of my life. Wendy, am I missing anything in his question? I, I, I jumped right onto that uh, mode of answering it. I, I yeah. wonder if there were some specifics I forgot. Well, it wasn't only that mode because I loved your kind of groans and reactions as I was reading the question. <laughs> it's telling. just it's it's like these sort of nonverbal answers that are just right. <laughs> human relating. I get it. I, I know. Get, it. I do yeah. get it, Brandon. Yeah. Wow. And one of the things that kind of struck you as I was reading was this sense of leadership. I'm called to. And I think uh, I think there's something powerful in that word for Brandon right now. Yeah, and I do have another thing I want to say about that. I want you to speak to that. I'm saying, do you want to say more first, though? Well, no, I was just reflecting back to you that when I read the question, that that kind of was, you you felt something about that word. Uh, I do feel something about that word because I'm I'm feeling in my 50s now uh, a new sense of, paying it forward to a younger generation and a new way of being a leader. And, and I think back when I was your age, Brandon, at the, the men who were in their 50s who were my age and older, who, who, who led me and mentored me and guided me, and I'm so grateful to them. And, and with the march of time, I'm now in a, in a position to, to do similar things for others. And I, I would put it this way, I, I also learned this from my spiritual director, and he learned this reading some speech or homily of St. John Paul II. And John Paul II feeling that burden of leadership Mm. as Pope, leader of the universal church. I mean, talk about burdens, geez. He said, the more I'm called to be father, the more I'm called to be son. We could put it this way. The more I'm called to be leader, the more I'm called to be follower. And that means we learn leadership from following Jesus. 
if we're not leading as Jesus leads, then we're not a good leader. He's the best leader there ever was. And he himself was in a posture of receiving, first and foremost, from the Father from all eternity. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. We could change that word and say, as the Father has led me, so I have led you. Right? And, and then before he says, go lead or go teach or go love, he says, remain in my love and then love as I love. We, in other words, we have to be first receptive. That's what JP2 is saying. The more I need to be a father, the more I need to be a son. I need to be a son of the father in order to father well. I need to be a follower of Jesus in order to be a good leader. Uh, so, brother, that's the challenge. Become more a follower and you will become more a leader. Become more a son, you will become more capable in your fathering because you can't give what you don't have. And that puts us first in that posture of receiving. You, what you said there, I, I didn't even know that JP2 said that. Yeah. That is such a powerful phrase. The more I need to be a father, the more I need to be a son. The image I had as I was praying for Brandon um, while you were talking was of him as a boy reaching his hand up to God the Father. Aww. So that image of being a son being was son. what was in my yeah. heart as I was praying for him. And I just love hearing that right from JP too. So I think that's, that's a word that our listeners needed to hear today. Thank you, Lord. I hope that was helpful to you, Brandon. God bless you, brother. Our next question is from Anna. Hello, Anna. I found your podcast. Is it Anna or Anna? I always get it wrong. <laughs> Actually, I think it's Anna. It's A N A. So let's oh, let's start Anna. over. Let's it's from Anna. Anna. Okay. Not Anna. Not Anna. <laughs> Anna. Anna. I found your podcast about uh, half a year ago, and it has helped me tremendously in understanding my faith especially since my boyfriend and I started dating a year ago. Your wisdom on TOB has helped me understand how blessed I am being raised Catholic and having found someone who has also been raised Catholic and who is just in love with the faith. Right now, though, we are going through a rough patch in our relationship in which we're not certain what God has planned for us. I know that I can trust God to lead us and that if we're not supposed to get married, God has someone better prepared for each of us. And also that if we are indeed meant for one another, that God will make this time apart fruitful. Mm. Sadly, that knowledge has not taken away the feeling of disappointment and anxiety that arise with the thought of potentially losing this relationship. Looking back at this year of dating, I feel like it is very obvious that God has brought us together, and it hurts to know that this feeling is not mutual right now. feels like maybe I'm imagining the signs. Could you share some wisdom on how to deal with these feelings and trust God to lead us? Wow. Anna, I, I already hear a, a, a deep faith, even in the way you articulated the question, it's coming from a a, a deep place of faith and a desire to grow in that faith. And I'll tell you what has helped me, blessed me tremendously. This is just a reality of life. People come in our lives and they go out of our lives. And there are few relationships, relatively speaking, that last a lifetime, right? I have one friend from childhood we met in nursery school when we were three and a half years old. I'm still in touch with him all these years later. 
over 50 years later. That's awesome. What a gift that is. I have you, my dear beloved wife. We've been married 20, almost 28 years. What a blessing. I have um, friends from my college years that we're still in touch with, but not all of them, just a handful of them. People come and go. I mean, those are the rare relationships where there's longevity. And we have to find a way to deal with the rich blessing that people are to us and the sadness that they come and they go. It could be a romantic relationship that comes and goes. Uh, you've had those. I've had those. Not since we've been married, but, but <laughs> <laughs> in case in there the needed past. to be clarification. Um, but prior to getting married, prior to meeting each other, and, and you know, there's this, there's, you look back on those relationships and you see, well, you broke up because it wasn't going to last. It wasn't overall a good relationship to be in for the rest of your life. But there are certainly blessings in that relationship that are still blessings. And I'll tell you what has been a tremendous source of grace in my life. And it maybe sounds obvious or something, but maybe not. It's the hope of the communion of saints in heaven, where all these people that I have known and people I haven't known will be forever to my heart a blessing. But there will be a special relationship in eternity with the people we had relationships with in this life. Because uh, nothing that is true, good, and beautiful about any of our lives and our relationships is, is done away with, erased, or deleted in the final reality that we call heaven. No, it's taken up, fully redeemed, fully purified, and completed in the communion of the saints. So, whether your relationship with this guy is going to last forever in this life, you can trust that the goodness you have known in that relationship is just a little, little glimmer, a little foreshadowing, a little hors d'oeuvre, if you will, of the feast of life-giving love that you will know with him for eternity. And I have to add this in just because it's appropriate. There's an if here, because heaven's not just a guarantee, right? That would not do justice to human freedom. The responsibility of human freedom is that we can say yes to God's marriage proposal or no, right? If heaven's going to be a wedding, the marriage of the Lamb, the marriage of Christ and the church, it's not going to be a shotgun wedding. Nobody is forced to go. That means freedom is real. That means we could actually use our freedom wrongly and say no to God's eternal invitation. Here's a suggestion. Let's not say no. Let's say yes. And in saying yes, with every Every, in every day of our lives, with every breath we breathe, if we say yes to God's marriage invitation, we can trust that we will be together with those who blessed us in this life. It gives perspective. This life, I know it seems like everything right now, especially when you're young, it seems like all there is. But I'm telling you, you age a little bit and mortality becomes real and eternity becomes closer and you look forward to it and you get more excited about it and you get to the point where you're like, yeah, baby, this is what I'm living for. This life is a blip on the screen. Eternity is forever. That's what I'm aiming for. And it just puts things in perspective. And it gives you a living hope that nothing that was a blessing to you in this life, an authentic blessing, will be done away with or erased. You will know the blessing of this relationship 
forever. Mm. That is that is a way to live. That is a way to have hope. That is a way to trust the Lord. Uh, even if this relationship ends, it you can trust that all that was beautiful about it will be given back to you in spades in the next life. Mm. You That's, know what I can't wait for, Wendy? Tell me. You were blessed by Jerry, your boyfriend in college. Yes. That was real. It was a real blessing. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see you rejoicing in the blessing that he was in your life forever in the communion of saints. There's no place for jealousy. There's no place for weird, dysfunctional, what about me? I mean, that just doesn't have a place in the purity and glorification of our humanity. And and I had a relationship with a, a girl named Janine when I was in high school and college, and all the blessings of that will be redeemed yeah. in eternity. And that'll be a blessing. That'll be good. That'll be good. It'll be good. Amen to that. Yes. And I can't wait to share the blessing that you are, Wendy, with the whole communion of saints, because I have been the man blessed in this life to know you so uniquely, uh, so beautifully, and I've been so blessed. I can't wait for the whole communion of saints to, to know the, the, the Wendy love. Like, the, there's a flavor that is just Wendy love. <laughs> and and I, I have been so blessed by your Wendy love, and I can't wait for the community of saints to be blessed by it. It's going to be awesome. Anna, I hope all that's helpful. I believe it is, but I think it come, it's the wisdom, it's hard-earned wisdom yeah. that Christopher is sharing with you that sometimes can feel like it's maybe um, pie in the sky, remote or something, or something. Yeah. And, and yet it's it's truth. It's what we believe. It's what we believe, that we are created for eternal life. So it does give us perspective during times of anxiety, as you talked about, or disappointment, to recognize that the deepest desires of our hearts, the Lord wants us to trust Him to fulfill them. And yes, there is a desire to experience, but, but what is your purpose right here in this part of life while I'm living on this earth? What what do you want of me? What are you going to do? What's my story going to be? And all of that is is very much wrapped up in uh, a romantic relationship and imagining of, of this part of your journey. And it, it is disruptive and kind of anxiety-provoking when the way we've been imagining it comes into question. And, and Christopher and I can certainly relate to that and that being a challenge to go through. Um, the the word that was coming to me as I was thinking about you in this time, Anna, was from St. Faustina, who commented in one place in her spiritual journal, I feel that I'm being completely transformed into trust. Mm. And she felt that during a time of trial, mm. that that was the action of grace in her heart. I am being transformed into trust trust. And so, I just want to encourage you as you, you're understanding a lot in your mind about how God works and that you can trust Him. It's, but it sounds a little like it's in the head and it's, it's, you're in that struggle to take it into your heart. And so, I just want to encourage you to pray, Lord, let me experience the trust in my heart that I, I know about in my mind. Take it to my heart. That, that would be my 
suggestion Good to words, Wendy. It reminds me of the saying I once heard, Jesus is the truth and Mary is the trust. So mm. I would invite you, Anna, to, to ask Mary to teach you the way of trust. Like even in the most horrific moment of being at the foot of the cross when her son was being tortured and killed, not that she didn't have all the questions that every human being does have in such, would have in such horrific circumstances, but somehow she maintained her trust. I trust you, Abba. I trust you, Father. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Holy Spirit. Ask Mary to teach you the way of trust. No person who has ever trusted God on the other side of this life is thinking, why did I ever trust God so much? Right? The Blessed Mother is not up there saying, why did I trust God when my son was being crucified? Uh, Mother Teresa is not up there saying, why did I trust God when I went through all those years of painful uh, feel the feeling of being abandoned by God. She went through that for years and years, a feeling of being abandoned. But she was in the most intimate union with Jesus in his cry of abandonment on the cross. Mother Teresa is not in heaven right now saying, why did I trust? <laughs> she is <laughs> rejoicing in the reward of her trust. Mm. Be not afraid to trust. Be not afraid. And pray for Wendy and pray for me that we would, that we would trust because life is full of tests of our trust. Amen to that. And, and if we embrace those tests, our trust gets strengthened. Yeah. Our next question is from a listener named John. Hello, John. Thank you for all your work. My life has been blessed by your ministry, and I've actually experienced much growth through the grace of God over the years because of your sharing of JP2's TOB. Wendy, how did you become comfortable hearing and even helping Christopher with his struggles with lust, or even being attracted to other women. My wife and I have been married almost three years, and any time my struggles, lustful looking or fantasizing, become apparent, she shuts down and takes it all at a very personal level. Mm. I want to be honest with her, but I don't want to keep hurting her. I don't believe my lustful struggles are right or good, but I know I'm still dealing with them, and I do not want to lie to my wife or hide this reality. This is a tough area of our marriage. My wife says she never struggles with lusting after another man, and she just can't understand. Also, she feels that if I have these struggles, it makes her wonder what other women have that she does not. I try to share that this is not ever about her not being enough, but it's something within me that's the real problem. Any help you can offer will be appreciated. John, I noticed you mentioned me in the beginning of your question, asking me how I became comfortable with um, this aspect of our marriage. And I, I, I want to speak to that, but I also want to let Christopher speak about some of the other things that you brought up first. So you go ahead, Christopher, and then I'll say more. John, there are lots of different angles I could take here in answering your question. There's a lot of layers to it. And I don't think in the format here on the podcast we can address everything that you've brought up. But what comes to my mind is that you and your wife are both struggling, and welcome to the human race, it's a struggle. You're struggling to reckon with the reality of fallen humanity. 
your wife, I was also struck by this claim that she never lusts after other men. Now, it may be the case that the way she understands lust, uh, maybe she thinks about lust from a, more of a male perspective and can't relate to the way that men are wired towards oftentimes, these are generalizations, but they hold true for the most part, men are geared or wired in their fallen humanity towards a kind of physical gratification. Whereas women, generally speaking, are wired towards more of an emotional gratification. Uh, and, and that difference can make it seem, and the key word is seem here, that men are somehow more broken or more fallen or more full of lust than women. John Paul II is very clear here. He says, although the differences between men and women are also recognizable in our fallenness. In other words, our fallenness manifests itself differently. Nonetheless, both are fallen. And the manifestation of fallenness in a woman, in her sexual attractions, in her emotional life, in the way she understands relationships with a man, uh, let's not pretend even for a moment that it's just a guy's fault. And so, if we understand lust in this broader way, meaning the fallen experience of being either a man or a woman in the way we experience being man and woman, living out our sexuality, uh, it would be foolish. It would be, it would be just flat out wrong for any man or woman to conclude, I don't struggle. Uh, that's like saying, I'm not fallen. And that's just not true. Your wife has fallen, you are fallen. She's grappling in her own way with what does that mean that I am fallen and my husband has fallen? And you are grappling in your own way with what does it mean that I am fallen and my wife has fallen? And how do we live as a fallen man and woman in a marriage and learn to love one another in the midst of our fallenness? And here's my invitation to you, John. I want to invite you and your wife to enter into the story of the wedding feast of Cana. And you might maybe kind of roll your eyes like, well, I know that story. Where is he going with this? What's this mean? There is so much more to this story called the wedding feast of Cana. And it's Jesus's first miracle for a reason, right? Running out of wine is a symbol for us. It's a symbol, John Paul II says, of the original sin. Because wine is a symbol of God's love poured out for us. And running out of wine is a symbol that we've been cut off from God's love. Running out of wine is the fundamental and innate problem of every marriage. Every marriage has run out of wine. We do not have what it takes in our fallen humanity to have a successful marriage. We will hurt one another. We will wound one another. We, we may Merely in our fallen humanity, we may learn lots of coping mechanisms that kind of get us through, but merely living in our fallen humanity without the new wine of Cana, we will never, become, never be able to become the men and women we are created to be, the husbands and wives we are created to be. And we must reckon squarely with the reality that I am fallen and my spouse is fallen. I, I am guessing that there's some real work to be done from your wife's perspective, because it sounds like 
she's and I can't I don't I only have that one line that you shared I don't struggle with that well whatever she may not struggle with certain aspects of of lust that you struggle with but she's fallen and she has her own struggles and you know them because you're married to her and she's wounded you and one of her struggles it's a real struggle it's evident in the way you've worded the question she doesn't know how to love you in your fallen humanity now she's right to say wait your fallen humanity hurts me and i wish you weren't fallen well yeah yeah that's 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 the cry of every human heart i wish the world wasn't fallen uh wendy i wish you didn't hurt me the way you do mm-hmm. <laughs> you're fallen and and that's hurt me being married to you and i'm fallen and that has certainly hurt you in many many ways how do we learn to love in the midst of being caused pain at the same time i think this is really at the at the the crux yeah. of this question yeah and i'm going to point to my standard text in the catechism i know if you're familiar with our podcast you have heard me say this probably a dozen times in a dozen different episodes or more catechism 2843 It says, it is not in our power not to feel or to forget when someone has wounded us, but the heart that offers that pain to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will transform that pain into compassion and transform the memory of the hurt into intercession for the person who hurt us. This has been the lifesaver of our marriage. I, I think you would agree with me, Wendy. Yes. Learning, learning, living that truth, not just reading it in the catechism and saying, oh, isn't that interesting? And going to the next paragraph. But what, like, pause. Whoa, 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 whoa. What does that mean? If we don't have a place to take the pain, the real pain, and let me say it to you plainly, John, your lust causes your wife pain, real pain. And she is justified in her pain. She is justified in saying, that hurts me. She's just, I get why she shuts down. And, and you can't pussyfoot with your sin here. Like Jesus is so clear and even severe. If your eyes cause you to sin, pluck them out. If your hands cause you to sin, cut them off. Um, this is how severe Jesus, I mean, obviously he's using hyperbole. He's not saying literally gouge out your eyes or cut off your hands. He's using this hyperbole to say, this is serious stuff. This really wounds people. This really hurts people. It, we can't just get through, go, go through life thinking, oh, this is, I'm just going to struggle with this the rest of my life, and you're just going to have to deal with it because I'm a fallen man. No, no, we have to take seriously the tools that are given us to grow in virtue, to grow in purity. And I am not a perfectly pure man, and to the extent that I'm not, Wendy, I know it still hurts you. But by God's grace, I can say I've grown and I need to keep growing. And, and Wendy, you're not a perfectly pure human being either, and, and you've hurt me, and we've learned how to love one another there. And we're not perfect at that either. But man, we look back at 28 years, and wow, by God's grace, by drinking that new wine, we can really attest to growth in learning how to love and accept that the other is not perfect, that the other is going to hurt me in his or her fallenness and learning to love right there. Because guess what? That's how Jesus loves us. And that's what we're called to. We're called to love one another as Jesus loves us. And while we were still sinners, Jesus proved his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, 
He loved us to the end. Husbands and wives, that's how we're called to love. And I think that's what you guys are reckoning with. Mm. What you said there when you were commenting on um, that uh, it's real that this sin is hurting your wife, I, I was struck too that that's an important part of John's growth is to take the He's articulated in many ways how specifically this hurts yes, his wife. Yes. To take that to prayer and let that those messages like be a channel of grace for his reorientation, for the redemption of his yes, sexual desires. Yes, yes, yes. Because there's something in her pain that's telling you, John, your wife's pain is telling you your sexual desire is meant to be a desire to love in the image of Christ. And if it's being directed or aroused towards someone that you're not called to love in a marital way, that's a misdirection yes, and yes. it hurts. Yes. So I think that that just taking that to heart because we we feel the things one another feel when we're when we're married we feel that oh she's suffering you even said john i don't want to keep hurting her yes. and and it seems like you're saying i don't want to keep hurting her by telling her about these things but the stronger i don't want to keep hurting her is should be because i i desire deeper redemption and freedom in my um and, and beautiful orientation of my sexuality. Now, I know you said at the beginning, how did you get comfortable hearing and about Christopher's struggles or helping him? And I think it it is a journey, and there are things that have caused me a lot of pain and that we've had to talk about and pray through. And, and the sensitivity of heart that has developed over time between us you know, wasn't always there. And so the pain was greater because right, we right. were kind of allowing what we might say now was sort of a wedge to form between right. us rather than experiencing our need to call out for grace together, you know. To, and so that that is part of our story as well. And I don't want you to think that that's, you know, that we've just always had this sort of easy path, right, to a place of <laughs> yeah. really cooperating with each other's journey. We've had to experience the pain of not yes. uh, doing that in order to cry out to the Lord and yeah, I, grow. I chuckled a little bit there because easy is not the word here. No. Uh, <laughs> Even love now. one another as Christ loved the church, that ain't easy. No, no. So, that's that's a part of, you know, what I want to say is that it's it's good for you to know that this causes her pain, because that's part of the way the Lord is is teaching you and guiding you in your growth, John. But also, that, that is not to say that she's not um, what Christopher was saying, you know, kind of denying her own fallenness and seeing well, how can you be that way, that's, you know, could be exaggerating the pain in this sort of... And that's painful um, to him. Right. It, it seems, again, there, there may be much more to the... I'm sure there is much more yeah. to the picture, but that little window, if, if she's kind of clinging to a, I don't struggle with this, yeah. and a, in a kind of self-righteous way, right, right. that's painful to John. Right. Because she's not acknowledging her own fallen humanity mm -hmm. and how that wounds him. Mm -hmm. She's not perfect. Yeah. And so, I think one of the things, another thing that has been very helpful to me as I've matured and we've matured in our marriage 
has been to realize that when I'm tempted to think I am, you know, I suffer because of such and such feature of my husband, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to remind myself that he also suffers because of me. And just as you were saying in your answer, my love, I also have to remember that and to realize that I may not even know all the ways that, in fact, I'm sure I don't know all the ways that you suffer because of me, because of the grace at work in you that allows you to take that pain to the Lord and and kind of process it and offer it up without me even knowing about it. So, And vice versa, yes, for sure. Yes, we are doing that. So, to know that <laughs> that it's a, a lie of the evil one to kind of get us stuck in our own self-pity to say, I'm the only one in this relationship. I have to put up with so much. You know, that's just, that's a whole tactic. Yeah. And and that's not where the grace is found. We don't have to be perfect in order to be loved. That's the key right there, Wendy. Yeah. That's the key. I think, and we all, in our own ways, different manifestations of the same disease, but there's a certain perfectionism, I think, yeah. here takes one to know one. My spiritual director calls me a recovering perfectionist. I, I would invite you, John, you and your wife, to pick up one of my books called Love is Patient, But I'm Not. And the subtitle is Confessions of a Recovering Perfectionist. And in that book, I just, I go through that hymn to love. Love is patient, love is kind. And I use it as an examination of conscience and I use it to tell stories of my own failure to love. Most of those stories are from our marriage and our, our need for mercy, our abject need for mercy. And the idea that I'm not worthy of love until I get my act together, that's, that is what perfectionism is in its very essence. I have to achieve something. I have to be perfect before I'm lovable. The gospel is so radically other than that. And if, and if your wife is giving you this expectation that I can't love you unless you're perfect or unless you get this under control or unless, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a truth in there in, in that she is, she is justified in saying, I want you to grow in virtue, right? But she's not justified if there's any whiff of you're not lovable until you grow in virtue, you're not lovable until you reach my level of virtue, until you no longer struggle like I no longer struggle or never did struggle with this. I, don't, I can't understand you. I can't relate to you because you have these struggles. Well, she has her own struggles that she's, it sounds like she's maybe blind to in some regard. And maybe I'm, I'm reading way too much into that one line, but I'm, I'm, and forgive me if I am, but based on that one line, I, I do think I just don't think she's dealing with reality to say to her husband, I don't have these struggles. Uh, you, you do, and you're the problem. It's just not a proper reckoning with the fact that both men and women are fallen. And yes, that fallenness manifests itself in different ways. And if that's what she's saying, fine. But I hope she's also doing an inventory of the ways that she has run out of wine, and that's hurt you. Mm. And learning to love one another right there, in our brokenness, in our imperfection, in our sinfulness. That's how Jesus loves us, and that's how we're called to love. And guess what? We can't do that on our own because we've run out of wine. Think how much wine Jesus brings to that wedding. 
This is the sign of the superabundance of grace given to us. Wine, wine, wine. Six stone jars, each containing an average of 25 gallons. That's 150 gallons at least. Translate that. That's like 700 plus bottles of wine. Jesus pops the cork and says, drink up. The goal here is to get intoxicated on the love of God. That's the goal of Christian marriage. We can't do it without the new wine. And there's that other line in the scripture, you know, you can't pour new wine into old wineskins. There has to be new wineskins to receive the new wine. There has to, in other words, like redemption through and through is what we need. And thanks be to God. That's what given, That's what's given to us. And mm-hmm. thanks be to God, we have a special sacrament called the sacrament of marriage that delivers that grace to us. All of that grace, of course, the source and summit of the sacramental life is the Eucharist. And what is the Eucharist? It's where we drink the new wine. That's where we drink it. It's where we take it in. The Eucharist, JP2 says, is the sacrament of the bridegroom and the bride. This is where we receive all the strength to live as the men and women we are created to be. I hope that's helpful to you, brother. We, we've, we've gone on a little, maybe a little long here. Uh, did you want to say anything and, and to wrap this up, Wendy? Or? I just want to invite John and his wife to consider taking the TOB1 course if that, I, I could see that being very helpful to them both because of the way you speak in a, a very um, just informed but grace-driven way about the experiences of fallenness, of brokenness, of woundedness that we need to understand in order to kind of open more to grace. So, that's a thought I had for them. Lord, we lift up John and his wife and this very real and very painful struggle. We trust, we trust that you have a plan to bring to completion the work you have begun in them. Mary, you were the first to go to Jesus and intercede for that couple who had run out of wine. So we ask you, Blessed Mother, Mary, our mother, mother of John and his wife, you know where they have run out of wine. Go to Jesus and, and ask him, ask him to bring that new wine. And uh, Mary's going to say to you, John, do whatever Jesus tells you. Do whatever he tells you. I hope we've, we've shared some food for thought for everybody today on this episode. If you've been blessed by it and you know somebody who needs to receive the same food for thought that you've received, please hit that share button. We look forward to being with you again next week. And as we always say, you are a gift. And we invite you to become what you are. Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. 